So three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Data on Kubernetes Community live stream number 122. It feels so good to say that. This is actually our second live stream of the day. We had one earlier about the CNCF glossary project. Always good to learn new vocabulary when we're talking about cloud native concepts. I imagine today will be no exception in that regard. Before we get started, as you've been hearing me in the last at least 20 or so live streams, we have our CFP open for KubeCon. Um, it actually is closing this week. There may or may not be an extension on that deadline. So please take a look if you'd like to get a talk in. We've been getting dozens of really, really good submissions. So looking like we're going to have two tracks um, in this KubeCon. The event will be on May 16th. Uh, we'll be live and direct in Valencia. It will be 100% virtual. Although if you'd like to come and hang out with us, just let us know and, and we definitely like to do that. That being said, getting data infrastructure right just isn't the simplest thing in the world. So for today's talk, we have two wonderful folks from Plural. We have Michael and we have Sam. Um, I'd like them to introduce themselves and explain their sort of Kubernetes journey. Michael, if you want to start with you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Michael. I'm CTO at Plural um, and an engineer by background. Uh, I've spent time at a variety of different places from Amazon to Twitter to Facebook um, and have been running Kubernetes uh, for a number of years. Um, but at Plural specifically, we're whole hog on Kubernetes and using it as a distribution platform for a lot of the data infrastructure components that um, we're going to be talking about today. Very, very good. So no stranger to the Kubernetes world. And yeah. Sam, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey, I'm Sam. I'm the CEO at Plural. Uh, my background is computer science development background. Most recently, I was the head of product at a no-code startup out of New York City. And we had a real painful journey uh, sort of with Kubernetes and data stacks in particular as well. And so um, for me to come into Plural and help solve that, I think super interesting. Michael has all the information you're going to need. So I'm just here supporting, but it uh, should be a great session. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Great to have both of you with us. That being said, Michael, it's all on you. Remember, folks, get your questions in in YouTube. If not, we can continue the conversation on Slack after the session. But remember, we can keep this as interactive as possible. So, Michael, if you want to share your screen, go for it. Great. Yeah. Let me just boot everything up. Okay. Um, sorry. It's all good. While we're getting started, I'm also going to put the link to plural.sh so that if folks have not checked it out yet, that they can certainly do so throughout the course of the session. Yeah, so this is just our title slide, but um, just gonna kick things off to explain a bit more about who we are. So at Plural, we're an application delivery platform for Kubernetes. We have the ability to bundle around 50 common open source solutions for the deployment onto Kubernetes into your own cloud provider. So if you're on AWS, GCP, Azure, um, it, what, what have you, we should be able to support it. Um, and the upshot of that is we've actually run a lot of pretty complicated data stacks in the process of building Plural um, that we like to sort of share our learnings of about um, today. Um, and then on myself, like I already gave a bit of an intro, but I'm an engineer with um, since at Amazon, Twitter, um, Frame.io and Facebook. Um, and now I'm CTO at Plural. Um, and I've been developing at, at, at distributed systems um, at scale for basically the entire of my career. Um, so hopefully I have a decent amount of decent operational experience for to share with you guys. Um, so just to like set the stage, what do I can sort of consider the data stack that a lot of um, at least top tier companies um, are using right now? It, it looks a little bit like this. So at the very bottom layer, um, you'll have a data warehouse and some of the common open source um, solutions that have gotten a lot of traction now are things like ClickHouse, um, out of Yandex, uh, Presto, and Delta Lake, if you just want to 
sort of a Spark-based data warehouse. Um, you'll need to have some degree of uh, at-scale batch processing. Spark is the best one, but some people still run Hadoop. Um, you'll want an orchestration engine so you can actually schedule jobs and manage a large um, tree of dependencies between them. Uh, Dagster is going to be like one of the more interesting newer variants, and obviously Airflow is kind of the standard. Um, and then there's a visualization layer on top. So like once you've got the data in a, in a presentable fashion, you still need to have like a BI team query it. And uh, some of the open source tools for that are superset and metabase, but there's obviously also Looker. Uh, something that's also, I think, might be a little bit um, put to the side or like solved by a different part of your organization, but all of these have high security requirements. So anything that's gonna be touching like proprietary company data is gonna require security and compliance. Um, and also there's very complicated networking involved oftentimes with, with the data stack. So, um, the, the actual business logic that might be happening in one of your airflow jobs is probably going to be spanning a number of different data sources that could be on segmented networks. You've got to figure out how to excuse, basically funnel that data between them. Uh, and then if you go into pretty complicated enterprise use cases where they might have data spanning like multiple clouds or in an on-prem environment as well, um, implementing security and like coherent networking in that environment is really quite challenging. Um, so yeah, just gonna keep on plowing along, but how, how do we sort of wanna do all this? So the first thing, um, we use Kubernetes pretty heavily. Um, the, the nice thing about that is we can build off of a ton of amazing work in the open source community, especially around Helm. So a lot of the stuff that we want to deploy, like I showed on the previous page, have existing Helm, Helm charts that we can build on top of um, to use to deploy them. Um, where there aren't a Helm chart, it's not, a, it's not hard to basically craft your own, um, but oftentimes we don't even have to worry about that work. Um, Another really big benefit is uh, the elimination of, of managed infrastructure. So all of these stacks are extremely compute intensive and also extremely memory intensive. If you have uh, management overhead in terms of the cost for it, it's going to get quite crippling in terms of its cost that, that you're gonna be paying. So if you have an operationally viable way to kind of run it yourself, there's a lot of cost savings you can generate. Um, and we wanna like make that possible as much as, as we can. Um, and then the other thing that's kind of interesting and uh, I think less quantifiable, but very, very real is the, um, the potential for operational unification. So it, what Kubernetes is sort of driving towards and what makes me so bullish about the platform is that the beginning of standardization around like the definition of a distributed system. And when you get to that level, you can solve some of those hairy cha challenges around networking and around security and around um, the repeatable um, deployment of a lot of the stuff. And those annoying like hairy operational issues become less common. Um, and like I was previously talking about specifically on the network at layer, layer if you have that very consistent operational environment where all of these different stacks are running, it becomes much easier for them to communicate with each other. So um, one use case, what we currently have with, it, with a number of um, our deployments is the ability to schedule um, Airbyte jobs within Airflow. And it's non-trivial because Airbyte has no authentication. If you, if you have them on separate networks, you really have no secure way to communicate with the Airbyte API. But if you can deploy them all into Kubernetes, use Kubernetes network policies to apply security on top of it, you can get around that um, lack of authentication and still have enough security to confidently run it in production. Um, another big thing that we use is GitOps very heavily. So 
Um, if you think of like the full complexity of deploying a lot of these stuff, it, there's just so much configuration. It's basically the, the, the equivalent of managing an entire code base. And so you need that version of control um, to be able to understand the full state history that's happened. Um, the other nice thing that you get is like by it just being like in a fully like consistent local environment is it, you don't have to, <clears throat> you get a little bit less worry about um, like a, an external system or a service that might be provisioning it via an API going down. Um, you can always fall back to local, which is really, really nice. But the, the biggest thing is, is version history. It, you, it, like, if you're going to be customizing, if you're going to be doing any sort of change on, on these systems, you need to know exactly what happens on each, at each given point in time at which a change occurs. Um, and then another thing that I think um, people miss out on, but it's actually extremely crucial, um, is operational tooling needs to be web-based. Um, there's two big things for this. Um, like there's, it, you have engineering churn that you'll end up, if you, if you want anything yourself, you're gonna have to be planning for the potential that your current team is gonna be replaced by a new, new, new suite of engineers. And they are not gonna easily be able to like figure out your bash scripts. They aren't gonna, they aren't gonna wanna re-into your CLI code. They will be able to learn a, a user interface if it's relatively well-designed. So that the ability to hand off to new to new talent is really really um, important and is at least solvable by a web based UI. Um, the other thing is response time is like so much quicker if you actually have um, web based tools. Um, this is something that I actually really saw at my time at Facebook. The top um, like foundation teams at Facebook all would would basically at any time there were major issues at the web tier or um, like at, at the data layer or anything like that. They would have some some internal web UI that that could repeatedly solve that issue, um, and that was basically the, became the gold standard of like we we've understood this problem and we can figure it out. Um, so yeah, those are like kind of our biggest mantras and how we're going to want to operate. So the big things that we've seen as challenges with running like a large suite of self-hosted um, data stacks. The first big one is upgrades. Um, and this might be another thing that people um, don't fully understand, uh, but the biggest thing that makes up upgrades really, really challenging is uh, dependency complexity. Uh, Kubeflow is probably the biggest example of this. Kubeflow has probably about like 15 or so deployments underneath the hood that it's, that it's running alongside the need for Knative and, and Istio. Um, plus obviously Kubernetes version dependencies. Um, and so if any of those change within your cluster, your entire Kubeflow deployment can, can break. Um, and so managing that, that upgrade lifecycle is extraordinarily difficult. Um, and the reality is it's going to require some manual effort. Um, we basically have to do, do manual validation in all of our target clouds before we, we bake an upgrade and, and, and deliver it. Um, and then obviously you end up having manual effort in terms of tracking security patches and tracking new, uh, new versions that are published to the upstream open source project. Uh, another really challenging thing is figuring out how to make everything secure. So a, a lot of open source actually has a pretty bad um, story around as, as security. I kind of hit on this with Airbyte, but they are not the only offender. Um, some, a lot of them have basically no login whatsoever. So they, they don't have any solution for authentication. Um, it, where they do have it, it, it might be either gated into an enterprise plan or it's just not properly implemented. Um, so oftentimes as a part of like trying to get is one of these things stood up, we have to really dive deep into how they manage their, um, manage their authentication layer and either augment it with something like OAuth2 proxy or 
just like read the docs enough that we can actually find something that's suitable. Um, the other thing that's kind of complicated is uh, so, uh, this software supply chain management of your solution. So we have to implement image scanning to make sure that we understand any vulnerabilities that might be in, in all the Docker images. It's very common that, that, that um, base images are actually kind of riddled with vulnerabilities um, and eliminating those is not a trivial thing. Um, this is very common with Python images as also, by the way, like that, that seems to be the biggest thing we've seen. But um, And then implementing network security is um, still surprisingly difficult. Uh, we, it, service meshes kind of are meant to be the solve for this, but we've seen compatibility issues when you start really pushing them, especially in it, like it, weird interactions with database operators uh, is where the, the things really start to break down. Um, the database operators oftentimes will shell into pods manually, and they, if they that interaction has deleterious um, like interplay with the, the service mesh, and it would break the, the ability for the operator to properly spin up the database. Um, but a lot of these things we're, we're seeing becoming more and more iteratively improved, like improved as a lot of these tools, um, these tools mature. And then once you've like spinned up all the, all this stuff, the integration of different tools still is actually quite manual and tricky and will require a little bit of thought. Um, so like I mentioned, the shared network layer is a really big win there. Uh, that's why like a big thing that I started getting more and more bullish about Kubernetes is that consistent operational environment and the ability to have like some sort of holistic uh, security profile for all of, all of your applications. Um, but uh, realistically, that's still not going to be a, a full solve. There are a ton of other applications that you really need to manually integrate. Um, and there's not really a true infrastructure level solve for that. Um, there's a couple of other things that I think people might not might think are really hard, but I don't think they're actually as hard as people think anymore. Um, the first one is scale. So I think we basically sort of figured out how to do scale. Um, and with the right inf infrastructure, it's pretty easily. So, so, you know, like you're going to use your Kubernetes deployment or your Kubernetes staple set, and you just tune that replica to, you know, in wherever and is appropriate for the amount of traffic that you're getting. And we have extraordinarily powerful auto-scaling constructs as well now. It's not the hardest thing in the world to do. The, the, the caveat, obviously, is if you're running really large-scale, like geo-replicated transactional databases, obviously you're doing something pretty amazing, um, but you're probably going to also buy that. So even that's something that like scale is not like the, the thing that I think is the, the hardest thing on the, on, on the, like on your engineering, um, uh, like on your engineering list of to-dos anymore. I actually think getting things running now is not that hard. So if you do the work to learn Helm, if you do the work to learn Kubernetes, you should be able to get something like Airbyte spun up, or you should be able to get something like Metabase spun up. Um, it might take longer than you would desire, but it should be doable. Um, that said, like if you're coming entirely from scratch, the ramp time to learn Kubernetes is still you know, on the order of months. So it's not entirely trivial, um, but we should like be kind of aware that the infrastructure world has matured a ton and the ability to install applications in the cloud is actually really, really good now um, in a way that it wasn't before. Um, and then Kubernetes itself is something that I think people continuously think is hard. And I actually don't think it's as hard as people, like, or I think they're making it harder than it seems. So 
the API is obviously huge, but realistically, you're going to be reusing a couple of very core components over, over and over again. You're going to use a lot of deployments. You're going to use a lot of staple sets. You're going to, you're going to need to learn config maps and secrets and the, the, the details of network policies and stuff like that. Um, but, and that'll give you, that'll get you to like 90% of your use cases. Um, it's not like, you know, it, it's, it's something you have to learn, but it's not ultimately that hard. Um, the, the, the challenge is oftentimes the world around Kubernetes. So there's like 20 different ways that you can manage Kubernetes manifests. And there's like 20 different ways that you can deploy a, a, a dashboard on Kubernetes. So creating that opinionated tool chain of what you're gonna use and commit to it is really the, the big thing that you need to do. And it, going down that rabbit hole is I think where a lot of people churn out in their Kubernetes journey. Um, another thing is like, you just, just use a managed control plane. There's, there's no world right now where like, if you can basically get a control plane for free from Amazon, where you should be running that yourself, uh, you can get some, some minor wins, obviously. Um, or if you're like deploying Kubernetes, I didn't say in scale, uh, maybe cluster API is the right way for you to go. Um, but, um, that that's definitely a, a thing that makes Kubernetes a lot less hard uh, in the current world. Um, and there's a, there's again, a caveat. On-prem environments are actually very hard for Kubernetes. So if you're running Kubernetes on-prem, like I feel your pain that that's not a, that's we've, we've been trying to figure that out as well. It, it can be extraordinarily difficult. And if you're running a Kubernetes where you don't have all the network constructs that you have in the cloud, also extraordinarily difficult. Um, and I totally understand why that's something that people consistently feel it's a challenge. But uh, Kubernetes on like the major public clouds, I think is an overrated challenge that, um, people might be a little bit misconceived about. Um, so what, why do we think that we found some benefit from this, from this approach? So the first big thing is we're seeing incredible cost savings um, against especially the managed service layer. So you can actually run the math if you, if you were to go to a lot of the managed services that you might perceive to, to want to buy. And it's usually going to be like a 40% plus markup to the, the compute underneath it. Um, and if you're doing large scale fast processing where you're going to be really constantly, you know, um, using that markup, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna really cost you. Um, so that's, that's definitely a huge thing. Um, the security, the security model is also really quite amazing. Um, it doesn't go entirely just on the, on the side of, um, community intercommunication between dependent services. There's also privacy and compliance that you basically get a completely different way of um, operating as a result of uh, stuff like post hog or um, or chat where, where you can even like have strong compliance and privacy around uh, product analytics suites is uh, a very interesting um, when, especially if you start talking about GDPR environments or things like that. Um, and then, but I think the big thing and definitely something that we're seeing more and more proof of is you actually end up getting to a substantial operational simplicity when you have a large multi-solution stack. So if, you, if you're in a world where you need to run not just Airbyte, but Airbyte with Superset, with Airflow, with, um, with Presto underneath and stuff like that, if, if you're committed to running all those applications, um, the self-hosted Kubernetes the entire model really becomes quite powerful because of that unification of the environment. Um, and because you have the ability to also create a unified management experience with a, with a web UI on top. Um, 
the uh, the other really cool thing is uh, the upgrade process, which I sort of handed on previously as well. It can be unified as also. So the um, the complexity of upgrading something like Kubeflow uh, will it ultimately require a lot of a lot of dependencies at the Kubernetes level. Um, and those dependencies might clash with your deployment of Airflow or some other application that needs something like Knet or Istio or something under the hood. Um, so what, if you can very easily unify it all into a single platform, you can uh, you can very easily do that diff check between the dependencies of all the applications and and validate that they will actually um, be upgradable at any given time. <clears throat> yeah. So. Uh, this is kind of the end of the um, the stuff I was going to mention, but uh, we are building a lot of what I'm talking about at Plural. Um, you can play around with any of it. It's completely open source and free to use. Um, we'd love if any of you guys to play around and, and or contribute um, or just chat with us on Discord as well. Um, but uh, if there's anything out, anything people want to ask questions about about things that we've been doing or um, any of these learnings, uh, feel free to shoot a comment or a question. So, yeah. Regarding regarding the point that you mentioned earlier about tooling, you know, and and I think that, like you said, is that a lot of times this can kind of bog people down and get overwhelming in terms of you know where they should yeah. go. We've we've had you know once again we've done over 120 live streams. We've had a couple that have just focused on you know top tools of 2021 or things of that nature. In your yeah. case, what have been your go-to resources? What recommendations might you have for folks so that that journey doesn't become so painful? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, so you need to know like what your specific requirements are. In our case, it, we have a, a unique set of requirements that we were able to know up front. So we're, 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 we're basically crafting Kubernetes deployments for other people to use. So we want to be using the tools that are going to be the most widely adopted and have the lowest chance of someone picking it up and not being able to understand how to use it. Um, so Helm was the de facto standard there. The other nice thing is because we are going to be building so many applications on Kubernetes, like something that has the largest ecosystem of existing like pre-built stuff is also the biggest win for us so that we can build on top of it and reduce as much repeated work as possible. Um, the, the reality is Helm has its limitations and I don't necessarily think it's the right fit for everyone and they should obviously be, be willing to know that. Um, but the reason, it, the, the one thing I'll also mention is like ultimately these tools are effectively all isomorphic. They're all just basically tools to generate a list of YAML files. <laughs> so uh, like, you know, just make it really just make a decision and commit to it. And it'll probably be just as right a decision as anyone else um, if you have at least some reasonable justification. Um, but you shouldn't like have each of your engineers have to go through that journey again and again and, and potentially churn out or potentially feel like it's just a waste of their time. Agreed. Good points there. And like you said that, yeah, the only wrong decision is not making a decision is all, you know, you got to yeah. take some step forward at some point. Another thing that, um, you know, that, that's, that's come up in a couple of other instances is, you know, the, the importance of security that, you know, guardrails that don't make this a day two thing, that this should be day yeah. zero. Uh, and one of the things that came up and a few, few months ago is the amount of vulnerabilities that arise from misconfigurations. Any, yeah. anything to comment on that? Yeah, yeah. So th that's pretty huge. And um, it's definitely something that we're really trying to solve for here because misconfiguration oftentimes in my experience is 
ultimately downstream of lack of engineering bandwidth. So it's, it's someone who's like trying to figure out how to install Airflow, bangs on it for like a day at a time, and it just like literally can't get it to work, right? So um, the, the, they'll ultimately create like a subpar, a, a subpar setup and that will create security vulnerabilities. Like that could be something like not integrating it with their enterprises so IDC's provider. It could be deploying it in a, in a sub-resource manner. So like it has availability concerns. Um, so well, a lot of what we wanted to solve for at Plural is creating, like doing all that upfront effort to really create really hardened deployments of all these things. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about some engineer in your organization struggling for, for days and a time and screwing up the deployment. Um, that said, like there is kind of like a list of checkboxes that you just need to do. So like you need to make sure your, your containers are scanned. You need to make sure your login security is appropriate. You need to make sure it scales to, to an, enough to um, enough to actually be available uh, on, a, on a reasonable amount of time. Um, and if you have the engineers who are capable of doing that, you, you should be able to deploy things on Kubernetes and to virtually any security standard you need um, with a lot of the tooling that's available. Good point. And like, but I really, what you just said, and you kind of alluded to this previously, if you have the right group of engineers, you know, like that, and yeah. what, you know, what does that, uh, what are the, you know, what are the necessities? Because we talk a lot about, you know, the, the, you know, the cost factor, cost can mean many things. It can mean time, yeah. it can mean people, it can mean resources. Yeah. And we also talk about, you know, the challenges of, of working with operators, the benefits and challenges, you know, do I yeah. have the time and resources to build an operator? What are things that you think organizations should be looking for in when it comes to having that right fit of does our engineers, you know, does our human stack meet the, necessi the necessities that we have regarding our data stack? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely like it's it's so hard to, to answer because the variance in human like in, in engineering like experience and capability is so wide. It, it's it's kind of wild. Um, I think in general, like you should you should just like basically be as pessimistic as possible with the abilities of your engineering team to operate uh, like complicated solutions. That's definitely something that we, that I build towards. Um, and that's why like I put such an emphasis on the creation of as many like web-based operational tools as possible. And I think that's one thing that the Kubernetes ecosystem does a very poor job of. Like they very much rely on you like understanding kubectl and the reality is a lot of engineers just don't want to interact on a command line. Um, but the other thing I think is really important, and this is kind of like a productization question, but is like a productization, like for any organization, like and how they build out their internal platform, you, you just need to like be able to like have an on-ramp that you sort of create in your, in your platform. So like you should be able to have a junior engineer get in, have a reasonably decent and successful experience, and then easily have pathways to do the more complicated things in a, in a safe way. So like their, their day one experience should be something that they, they can at least understand the system, understand everything that's going on, and then dive deeper and deeper and deeper into like the more nitty gritty details um, as, it, in a, it, as they need it um, and not have to do like really complicated things up front. Um, but that's kind of a general solution, but that's no. But I think, but I think at least getting it out in the open, you know, and yeah. and also, you know, you're a CTO, and coincidentally, we just had someone yeah. in the chat asking if Plural is hiring. So anyway, I linked the the, the website <laughs> yeah. with, for careers. Yeah. But I uh, to take that one step further, because you mentioned, you know, the the cost 
um, optimization factor uh, regarding yeah. regarding data infrastructure. You know, one thing that we're asking all of our speakers is one thing is we talk about what is running data on Kubernetes. Another thing is how it's done. But more importantly, at an organizational level is why, you know, why should anybody care about this? Why is this relevant? One factor could be a cost factor. Another co factor could be a, a security factor. Another yeah. one could be the, the talent factor. In your opinion, what are some of the reasons if someone's having, you know, a conversation with a CTO or a VP of engineering, what, what are the whys that they should have uh, when it comes to that conversation? I think, I think the cost factor is the biggest one that to, in my opinion, uh, like there's, especially when you get to some degree of maturity as an organization, like you're really running infrastructure at scale, you can very realistically reduce your, your bill by like a million dollars a year. If, if, if you're big enough, like that, that's, and so like, even if you do the, the ROI math on maybe I need to hire out a different team, it's hard to, it's hard to get to a negative number when, when the infrastructure costs you're, you're saving are so high. Um, that said, there's a few other things that I think are pretty interesting trends um, that people might or might not be like, it, obviously Kubernetes is kind of eating the, the container orchestration world. So if you do anything else with the container orchestration that's non-Kubernetes, you're going to end up creating a hiring problem for yourself because the, the talent pool is going to be more and more dominated by people with Kubernetes experience. Um, that's like you, you should definitely, like there might be some that have better usability profiles out there like Nomad, but it, it, the reality is it doesn't matter if you have to retrain someone. Um, so that's, that's a big concern. The other really interesting thing is I do see like the emergence of like the next breed of SaaS product being open source and having a self-hosting component. And there's, a, there's an even more wild cost savings world where like a lot of those huge SaaS contracts that you have that are oftentimes paid on like a headcount basis or like just wildly marked up. Like SaaS in general is probably secularly overpriced. Um, if, if you can actually use an open source alternative that has exactly the same functionality and really a good product experience, but you need to do that by having like the ability to self-host, which is going to ultimately give you to get you to the need for Kubernetes. There's another really big pool of cost savings that you can get to there. Um, so Airbyte's one that I've mentioned a, a, a number of times. That's definitely a, a really popular, like new gen open source project. Yeah. Uh, Supersets from the Apache guys are like a, a looker alternative that's basically does the exact same thing. Um, but there's other really cool things like NADN that's a Zapier alternative as well that um, I think people should really do there, do the, spend the time to look into and um, could potentially like really improve their organization as a result of, of checking them out. Heavily agreed. And, you know, Airbyte's actually one of our members, one of our sponsors, uh, companies yeah. in our community. So we've, we've been able to see, trace their journey for a while. Yeah. It seems like a long time really doesn't feel like a long time. And <laughs> in, in the incredible growth, also the investment around speak for themselves. Like you said, I think it's it's very fair to to, to, to see that trend, that shift. And also that there are there's a business case behind this. And that's and that's also why I we want to get this question out there about, you know, why run data on Kubernetes? Because the saying goes, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. And so yeah. I, I, it's really nice to hear your perspective on that. Um, let's see other things. Oh, one other thing yeah, on yeah, that. Go ahead, is, go ahead, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, so like I was mainly talking about cost optimization, mm -hmm. uh, but, and this very much depend on like what environment you're in, but like the network segmentation problem that I had touched on a number of times is huge. So if you have on-prem data, for instance, 
the, there is no realistic way in which you can get that data into the cloud without paying an insane amount of money. And the, the reality is it's probably easier to move the application now than it is to move the data. So it, like the portability aspect of Kubernetes, it's actually incredibly powerful for organizations that have gotten themselves into that degree of tech debt. Um, and like, that's another thing that we really want to see like more and more like people unlocking Kubernetes potential around. Um, so, yeah. Good, good, good. Um, good points all around. Like you said, this, this, this change, this change is happening quickly. The territory is, is very much being controlled now. And like you said, which means the talent is going to be shifting in that area. Yeah. Um, that being said, you like it just cause it did come up in our chat. What roles, what kind of folks are you looking for in plural? What kind of a team are you looking to build? Yeah, yeah. So um, we have an, we have two like sort of classes of software engineer role that we have available right now. So the first one is sort of fit full stack uh, role that's focused primarily on React, but we also have a server side component built in Elixir. So if there's for whatever reason some Elixir devs on the on the call, definitely hit us up. It's kind of a niche language, but we we like it a lot here. Um, and then we have we're basically packaging as many open source things as possible. So we have a, like a laundry list of currently like 20 things on our backlog, oh, wow. like for fault, a VPN, there's a ton of other stuff. So if you have experience on Kubernetes specifically and want to be like building deployments of a lot of the open source tools that you might've been, might've been using um, or might want to be writing, writing some interesting operators to do things like object injecting a WAP proxies into applications and stuff like that. Um, absolutely hit us up as well. We have a ton of, a ton of need on that side as well. Um, there's also like we're we're building it we're building entirely open source so um, people who might have experience in the community management area or something like that we would also be really interested in and in talking to. Good. All right. Well, I think we this is very very nice to get to know both your experience, which is very solid, speaks for itself, and also getting to know Plural a little bit more as a company. But in a broader sense, getting these challenges out there that that as you rightfully pointed out are are you know tons of organizations are facing these. And yeah. a lot of them, once again, they're over, they know this is where they have to be, but you know, how can we get there? You know, as, yeah. as an organization, do we really understand the needs? And, and like you said, I think the main thing is being proactive in that sense, you know, as a technologist, what are your go-to resources? Like, and, and there's no silver bullet, but I'm just curious, your personal favorites. Um, Stack Overflow. <laughs> 100%. Stack Overflow and Google. You can find everything that way. Um, the, I'm not always the best person to ask. Like I, I somewhat have the luxury of like when I see some sort of technology, I can oftentimes sort of understand how it's implemented um, because I've, you know, seen all this stuff implemented before. Um, but it, it, like, if you if you know how to navigate Google, you should be able to figure out how to think how virtually any of these things work. So that, that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that I think you know the 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 driving force behind that is you know persistence. That it's yeah. it's not something that you're just going to find all at once. Yeah. And, and that, you know, it is going to involve somewhat of a constant struggle. Um, very, yeah. very good. Well, Michael, this was fantastic. Before we go, before we wrap it up, um, just want to thank you very much for the presentation. You've got, folks, you've got all the links in, in the chat um, on YouTube, and also we'll be putting everything else in, in Slack. But before we finish, we do have a, a tradition in our community. While you are talking, we have an amazing artist who's in the background. Um, creating an artistic depiction of the dimension. <laughs> uh, his name is Ankhan. And he's very good at what he does. So we'll be uh, also sharing this. It's a nice thing to have as a, as a visual summary of the different things that were mentioned. I really, I really liked how concise the presentation was, how practical it was. Um, so I'm sure lots of folks are going to be enjoying this. You're pretty easy to find on Twitter and LinkedIn, as is Sam. 
Um, anything else we should know on the plural side about any events coming up, any news, anything we should be aware of? Um, so we've like officially uh, publicized our seed round this week as well. So you, you should be able to find some news coverage of that. Um, but otherwise, uh, best way to, to sort of follow us is on, it should be on uh, Twitter or to hit us up on Discord. Um, and, and like I said, like if you guys want to spin up something like Airbiter Superset on, on your own Kubernetes cluster, uh, you should feel free to use Plural to try it out. Um, and we would be welcome. We would love any feedback or um, comments that you might have about the experience. Very good. Well, there you have it, folks. Very open, easy to get in touch with. And uh, anyway, very nice having you. Hopefully have you in another session. Also, maybe fingers crossed for KubeCon. But, but yeah, that should be it. Thanks very much, Michael. Have a good one.